although we try very hard in the world of science, we haven't cracked it yet that we don't need a man for your existence. So whether you like it or not, you do have a father, and you are a function, a function of fatherhood. So once again, a round of applause to the fathers in the house and the fathers to be. I want to deviate slightly before we go into the word, and it, and it's going to, I think it's going to be a brief word. At least it was brief in my mind, but we know how these things go. Um, Father's Day. Today's Father's Day, so, you know, my message is slanted to fathers. Now, it's always important to look at the origin of things and how it came by, partly because it's good to know these things are not just random. And we know that Father's Day is a celebration honoring fathers, celebrating fatherhood, paternal bonds, and the, and the influence, this is an interesting part, the influence on fathers on society. The influence on fathers on society. It was founded um, in Washington, we're talking about 1910, by a woman called Sonora Smart Dud, who was in a service in which they were celebrating Mother's Day. And she thought, hold on a second. I have a single dad and there's six of us. This man needs to be recognized. And so this was like in 1910. And it wasn't until 1966, actually, that the US Congress officially agreed that it's something worthy of celebration. The initial resistance was around, um, oh, let's not make Father's Day official because it might become over-commercialized like Mother's Day. So that was the initial resistance, which in itself is quite funny. And if you look at the economics of it, thank God for the, the celebration that, that, that we have. But something like over 10 billion pounds is spent every year on Mother's Day. But a fraction of that is spent on Father's Day. Now, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying the way society sees things right now, <laughs> the way society sees things right now, they asked a small boy, they asked him to define Father's Day, and he said, this is a quote, it's just like Mother's Day, only you don't spend as much. <laughs> it's just like Mother's Day, only you don't spend as much. So let's talk about what it means to be a father and what the expectations of society are on fathers right now. So what is a father? And I've taken permission to use this, um, this picture. One of our fathers in the house. <laughs> you know, when you talk about what people sometimes say, oh, you know, who you father, what should a father be? You know, most people imagine someone that is that strong, role model, leader, hero, provider, protector, pace setter, priest, you know, strong, gentle, valiant, loving, fit. Now this word that these trans used to get us cool, you know, sensitive. So that's in a way what a lot of men expect themselves to try and be. That's what they want to be. That's what society thinks of the ideal father but there's now this flip side on it that in when you don't meet these expectations you're then seen as substandard and there's a lot of pressure there's a lot of expectation and unfortunately 
there are a lot of us in the house that haven't had father figures that have been all of these things. So we then get caught in the trap of trying to be better than what was ahead of us, which in itself is part of the problem. I found this interesting quote, another definition of fatherhood, which I thought was quite a nice one, um, by a chap called Paul Harvey, who says, a father is a thing that is forced to endure childbirth without anesthetic. A father never feels worthy of the worship in a child's eye. He's never quite the hero his daughter thinks, never quite the man his son believes him to be. And this worries him sometimes. I think it worries him a lot of, him, a lot of the times. So he works too hard to try and smooth out the rough places in the road for those of his own who will follow him. Fathers are what give daughters away to other men who aren't nearly good enough. So they can have grandchildren who are smarter than anybody's. Fathers make bets with insurance companies about who will live the longest. One day they lose and the bet's paid off to the part of them they leave behind. Now, we're not going to the word yet, so this is just an aside. Because these are the things sometimes that men have to contend with. So it's not unusual that in this day and age, depression is an all-time high in men. Suicide is an all-time high in men. Because based on some of the societal pressures and expectations, men and fathers are feeling defeated, inadequate, not enough, disrespected, weak, unfulfilled, no given role. But I put it to you today that as fathers, we don't need to look at ourselves in the way the society is subscribing. We need to look at ourselves in the way God has ordained us to be. The way he has predestined us to be. That is the way in which we should look at ourselves. So when we look at ourselves as men, we have to say, what does God say about us? Because science has shown actually that there is a need for men in a society because some of the issues we have society today is because of a lack of father figures. Let's bow our heads and prayers to go into the word. Father Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to go into your word today. We thank you, O oh Lord, for the power and the victory that you've already given us through Christ. Even as we break your word and go into your word today, we pray that I shall bring light. We pray that I shall bring understanding. We pray that I shall bring healing. And above it all, may your name be glorified. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's jump into the word. How does God, how, 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 what is fatherhood? Or what is a father as God sees it? Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 15 makes us appreciate actually that a father cannot be replicated or replaced. You see, you may have many people that occupy a role as teachers. In fact, it goes along the line of saying that some people have 10,000 teachers, but just the one father. So the, the role of a father cannot be, is not something that can, can be replaced or replicated, and even when it's not there, it's still 
has an impact. Let's look at the parable that is often called the parable of the lost son or the parable of the perfect father in Luke chapter 15. Now, we're not going to read it all. It, I mean, it, it's, it's exhaustive from 13 all the way to 32. But what I will point you to is from 25 onwards because it talks about almost like, um, I wouldn't call him the forgotten person, but when we look at this parable, we, we can focus on the perfect father and the love that he showed. We can focus on the, the younger brother who was the prodigal son and came back and got everything. But then there's this story, the told story of the older brother, which goes like this. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field when he came near the house and he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what is going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he, because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeying you, your orders, sorry, yet you've never given me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. And what did the father say? But when, sorry, you're going to go somewhere. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Jesus told his disciples, oh, listen to jumped a bit that's it okay i have a slightly different um so my niv nkjv slightly different translation but the, the point of this is this older brother he was in the fields as a servant not appreciating what he already had in his father and he was working based on a reward system of what God was going to do, something he had to do to achieve whilst he did not fully appreciate his inheritance. So a lot of times, as men, as fathers, we, we focus on trying to justify our position as a father, trying to be that which society says we should be, or trying to buck the trend. What's actually tapping to what we already are? Not based on what society says, but based on what God says. Tapping into that inheritance of what we are in God. Because we carry the very nature of God. Genesis chapter 1, 26 to 28 makes us understand that at the time of creation, man actually had an intrinsic value because he was made in the image of God. Now, if we appreciate the nature of God, 
and we appreciate the nature of God as a father, then man already carries that intrinsic nature, which means that from the beginning, we already were. And once we appreciate that which we were, we were from the beginning of time, then we no longer need to subscribe to what society says that we should be. We, just, we should be focused on manifesting that which we already are. Is that clear? Is that clear? So there are many ways of defining father, and I like playing some of these, you know, this, I wouldn't call it games, but some of these exercises in which we, you know, so how would you define father? Or um, how, what would you, if someone said, what is a father to you, or what should a father be? What should a father subscribe to? Um, I thought, let's, let's try and define, or at least spell out the word father, looking at some, some things to guide us. So obviously F is the first word, right? Now I implore every every father in house, every man house, you can you can make up your own definition, but I'll put this to you and see what you think. F is for faith. Now it's not possible to be a father like God wants us to be if we do not have faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, we, we know this already. It says that it is absolutely impossible to please God without faith. We can't come to God unless we have faith. It's an essential requirement. Furthermore, we recall that one of the the greatest father figures, if 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 you can use that, or a great father figure in Abraham in the Bible, referred to as the father of faith. In Genesis fifteen verse six, it makes it clear that it was his faith, his belief in God, that deemed him righteous. So, as men, as fathers in the house, or when you're looking for father figures. Or dare I say, um, because father figures cross across a lot of grains. Because fathers are also husbands. So when you're looking for these things, is faith there? Faith has to be there. We have to work on being pillars of faith. Now, it's very easy to... to <laughs> Probably easier to, to, to rule outside than to rule in your own home, but it, it has to start at home. So yeah, Madame is not in yeah she's she's not in the room, so I can I can speak freely. You know what I'm saying. You have to being that pillar of faith starts in your own home. That's our first calling. Everything else is secondary. And that's something that I have to remind myself. That's something that you have to remind yourself for. By divine orchestration, we set the tone in our faith. So unsurprisingly, it's very difficult at times to find a family where the father's faith is shaky. By definition, everyone wants to be affected. God bless our women and our mothers who sometimes still try to keep the faith. But ask any one of them in that circumstance. It's a struggle. When the father is not doing what he ought to be doing, by faith. 
So faith has to be there. A, A, A. You could you could choose whatever you want, but uh, for me, I I would I would define A, the A in father, as attitude. Now, what's your attitude? What's your attitude? So we have in society here, men, even by the dictates of the law, that have been inherently made to feel helpless and powerless. But is that how God sees us? Is that how we see ourselves? If we journey through to Numbers chapter 13 and 14, we see the great example of the time of Moses as this transition was happening. Um, after the Israelites had been delivered from Egypt and they were then due to occupy the promised land and scouts were sent out to go and survey the promised land and reports came back and in 13 towards the end of 27 it was indeed reported that the land was flowing with milk and honey and some said but those that dwelt in the land were strong. And I find this fascinating because verse 3 says, there, there we saw giants and we were like grasshoppers. What does it say? In our own sight. So, <laughs> now don't you know, if that wasn't dictated whether the rest would have happened because because of the way they saw themselves, because of their attitude, of course, it follows that others them saw them in that way. Because what it said is that because we saw ourselves as grasshoppers, so we were in their sights. Meanwhile, Joshua and Caleb, they saw differently. They were not blind to what they saw or to the reality or to the circumstance or, what to, or to what society said. But they chose differently. They chose differently. Because the same way in which a lion sees a, a big buffalo and doesn't think, oh my God, that's a big animal. It sees big meat. They saw bread. They saw meat. They saw something for the taking. They saw victory. And it's not surprising that it was only them and their descendants that actually saw the promised land in the end. So I put it to you that your attitude as a father figure, irrespective of what's going on around you, irrespective of the circumstances, determines, as they say, your altitude. So we need to reconfigure our attitude, which is also our mindset, not based on what we see and feel, but what on, based on what God says. Amen? Can I borrow you, please, um, Pastor Richard and Bro Lady? Bring those. You're looking at Bro more like your, like his name is Laddie. As well. What's up? Give um, Bro Lady that bottle, please. Come closer, come closer. Yeah, yeah. Just start shaking, start shaking. Start shaking. Yeah, yeah. nice one. Tea. We'll take tea in five words. Let's take it as time and timing. Now, I've already spoken about the importance of time of our drama and how important it is to spend the time on the right things. Stop. Open your own bottle. 
Ah ouais, ouais, ouais. <laughs> I don't want to make too much of a mess. What would happen when Laddie opens that bottle? Before he drinks it. So. <laughs> I'll put it to you. I mean, we all know what's going to happen. We should know what's going to happen there. If he opens that bottle, there will be an eruption. Now, he bought 500, he was given 500 mils of coke in that bottle. By the time that eruption occurs, something like 100, maybe 200 mils have escaped, which he cannot replace. But in the meantime, we'll give Rabbi Richard another five minutes and time to open his bottle. Nothing will be lost. Please have a seat. Time. Now, that example, you can use it for so many different things. Now, the point I want to use that to exercise is the importance of timing in what we do as men. Or more importantly, in what we say as men. You see, there'll be a lot of times in which we're going to go through that shaking. In which we're going to have that turbulence. In which Madame or little Kevin or someone is going to say something or do something that mandates or that will lead to an eruption if you open up immediately or if you speak too soon. Timing. Because in the fullness of time, sometimes things are just not as bad as they are. And once you lose that which has come out, you can't take it out. You can't take it back. Timing. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 to 20 reads as thus. Talks about walking in wisdom. And I read the NKJV. It says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. 17 says, Therefore do not be wise, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of God is. You see, when it comes to this issue of time and timing, it cuts so many grains that only God can help us to really do time justice. Because every act of procrastination is a sin. Every act of misappropriation of sin we need to check ourselves for. And every time in which we are out of step with where God wants us to be, with our timing, because of our own selfish desires, or because of our um, lack of understanding, or because of our anger issues or our pride, <coughs> that can lead to sin. Time. May God help us with that. And an issue of time also, something that we need to do more of is learn to celebrate the time that we have right now. I sometimes find myself so focused on the five-year plan, the ten-year plan, and you don't realize that, you know, you, you, are the you are in the future. This is the future. I said I can remember 12, 13 years, 20 years ago, I can remember about the plans of what I... This is the future. Psalms chapter 20 verse 12 says that it teach us how to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You have to make the most and celebrate that time that you have now. Those victories that God has given you, celebrate them now. Because 
in that pursuit of that which is to come, sometimes we lose the essence of the now. And God forbid, there's no guarantee that that future that you're chasing is one that will be yours. Amen. H. Now, I could have called H anything, but for me, I'd said, I'll call it for me, the H should be heal. So H-E-A-L. Now you may say, yeah, okay, well, Dr. John, yeah, not surprising um, that you chose that word. But actually, what does it mean to heal? At times, we carry a lot of wounds into fatherhood. Wounds from our experience of a father. Wounds from past relationships, failures, disappointments, experiences. And we don't address those issues. We don't address those wounds. We don't allow those wounds time to heal. And therefore, we are surprised when we are not doing that which we're supposed to do. Second Corinthians chapter 5, 17 to 19. I'll read. If anyone is in Christ, is a new creation. All things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Now amazingly, when I usually read the scripture, I normally stop at 17, um, maybe the early part of 18, because we focus on the fact that, yes, because we have been renewed, because we have been turned around, because we have been healed, that that's where it stops. But that's not what that scripture says. So we thank God for the healing of our minds and of our spirits, which once again is something that has already happened. So remember what we said before, that we need to understand that some things have already been given so that you can walk in the full manifestation of your inheritance as a son. So your healing has already occurred. Those wounds need not exist anymore, thanks to Jesus Christ. But what we need to focus on is on the latter part of that, on that ministry of reconciliation, that ministry of healing, which is one of our mandates as fathers. We have to be the ones that bring in the healing, that bring on the reconciliation, rather than focusing too much on our own wounds that we've already been healed of. What does that mean in your families, in our, man, in our dictations with our children and in our wives? Are we the one that strives to bring about healing and reconciliation? Are we the one that's always peeling that scab and adding pepper to the wound or, you know what I mean, adding heat to the fire? Are we the instruments of reconciliation? Are we the instruments of healing? Because that's what we need to be. That's what God wants us to be. As fathers, E. E was a relatively simple one for me. E for me is the fine. You have to, E is excellence. E to excel or to be excellence. To excel or to be excellence. Now, so if you haven't grabbed this, this message, obviously it's not only for fathers. For for those 
women in the house, mothers that are thinking it's not for me. I'm sure you can appreciate that there are things be tough for everyone. We know that man and woman, we all are made in the image of a most excellent God. So why is it sometimes that we settle for second best? Why is it that sometimes we choose not to excel or not to be excellent in our conducts? Or why don't we strive for excellence? Going back to Genesis, like I read again before, in chapter 1, verse 26 to 28. It reads, let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. And man was created in the image of God. Male and female, he created them. 28, then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. So you can underline that, subdue it. Have dominion, you can underline that, over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on earth. This scripture to me is crystal clear. We are heavenly agents. We are kingdom agents on earth. And we have one simple task. And that's to carry out the instructions that have been given there. So... How are we subduing? How are we dominating? Now, this is not do dominating for my own person. I can get more money or more. No, no, no. This is for the purposes of the kingdom. And I thank God for this church. Because when it comes to the issues of um, career and pushing, we, we, we reflected on this in Mrs. Mason yesterday. We, we do that. I, I hope we, we agree that we're quite forward in pushing people as far as their personal developments, as far as their career developments. But it, it goes beyond that. Because only you knows your own limits. And at times, even when you appear to be functioning at a high level, you know that there's more that you can give. So what are you doing for the kingdom in that regard? Are you fulfilling this mandate to, to excel? Are you promoting excellence in your conducts, in your spiritual life, in your finances, in your accounts, physically, in our families? Excellence. Excellence. And the final letter here for R, I've chosen you to use the word um, reflect or reflection. Because at times we, we get caught up in, in moving forward, as I said before. And we don't take time to reflect. When we look at the Psalms, particularly Psalms like Psalms 103, where, where David is talking about praising God for his mercies and he's blessing the Lord and thanking God for what he has done and how he hasn't forgotten all the benefits. He's reflecting on what God has done for him. And having that ability to reflect helps us to understand that which God has done. 
even in the earthly realm, I believe um, it was Winston Churchill that said, those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Well, he, he quoted it, but I'm not sure if it actually originated from him. The same thing is true biblically. If we don't reflect and take stock of, okay, a year ago, this is where I was. This is where God has now brought me to. Five years ago, this is what it is. That we, we, we will miss it. And that heart of thanksgiving and appreciation, that should be what we do on a daily basis. We miss out on it. Furthermore, in First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, we are reminded of what we are in God. So this is my part in scripture for you. This is who you are in God. And thank God for our regular declarations. Because, I mean, God bless you for that vision, Pastor. Because I personally believe that's one of the most powerful things that we've instituted in this past six, seven months. That declaration, if you can own it and if you can meditate on it, will work for you. Similarly speaking, we as men, we as fathers, or we as the children of God, not leaving anyone else, need to remember this, that we have been chosen. We are indeed a royal priesthood. We are a royal nation. We are God's chosen people. And understanding that, what we have to now focus on is proclaiming the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So in that understanding, we're going to rise up and make some... We're going to pray, but we're, just the two prayer points. I want us to take it slightly differently. Let's take them as, as declarations in a way. Yeah, as declarations. As I said before, I think one of the greatest problems you can have initially is, is not knowing who you are, not knowing where you are, where you ought to be. Because when you're fighting that battle, then you can't see what's ahead of you or that which has already been given to you. So the first prayer point for everyone in the house, for every GLC father, is for God to open our eyes to walk into the manifestation, manifestation as sons of the Most High. So Lord, open our eyes, open our eyes to walk into our manifestations as sons of the Most High. Really dig deep and pray that prayer. Pray that prayer for every father in the house. Pray that prayer for every father figure. Pray that prayer for every, every man in your life, every man that will come into your life. And pray that prayer for yourself. That every veil that is covering your eyes shall be lifted. So that that manifestation, that appreciation of that sonship of the Most High. will be revealed Father open our eyes O Lord open our eyes Father give us the grace to walk into 
various manifestations of, of sonship that comes through you. Second prayer point or declaration. This is more of a decree. And it goes like this. We decree that our fathers shall operate based on the predestined standards set by God Almighty and shall not be limited by what we see in our present circumstances. I'll say that again. We decree that our fathers shall operate based on the predestined standards set by God Almighty and shall not be limited by what we see and by our present circumstances. Let us turn down to prayer. We decree, O oh Lord, that shall give us the grace as fathers in the house, as your children, to operate based on that which you have already determined for us, O oh Lord, before the beginning of time, before we were made, O oh Lord. Give us the grace, O oh Lord, not to be limited by our circumstances or by what we see. Give us the grace not to be limited by our societies. Give us the grace, O oh Lord. Help us, Father. Help us, O oh Lord. To fulfill your mandates, O oh Lord. To subdue and to dominate. For the kingdom's sake. Thank you, Father. We glorify you. So, Father, we come before you to say thank you, O oh Lord. Even as we take stock, O oh Lord, of, of the gift of fatherhood, we thank you, O oh Lord, as our almighty Father, our provider, our protector. We thank you, O oh Lord, for all the things that you've done for us. We thank you, furthermore, for all the fathers in the house and all the fathers to be and that which you've predestined them to be. We pray, oh Lord, that you should help us all to walk in the full manifestation of that which you've already ordained. And we pray that you shall give us the grace to take territory, to subdue, and to dominate in your name. Thank you for our friends and our prayers. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God.